for every good work. Hebrews 4 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Matthew 4, Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Finally, from Matthew chapter 5, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. It's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I just spent the last week at our General Assembly, which is uh, Presbyterian Church in America's annual meeting. And if you're wondering if I just got real conservative all of a sudden and decided to wear a tie, you'd be wrong. Uh, when your three-year-old gives you a tie for Father's Day and she said, Dad, you going to wear that? The answer to that question, whether dressed or not, is yes. You're going to wear that. So you see that I'm wearing a tie today. Uh, she picked it out. She's my little fashionista. Uh, so... Uh, there you have it. Um, I do want to make one other uh, uh, pastoral privilege statement, and that is we still need four um, Vacation Bible School volunteers. Um, and so if that's at all a possibility for you, if you'd like to do that, um, please talk to uh, either me or Elizabeth Watts or where's, uh, where's Trina? Trina's probably downstairs working with kids, so, uh, or Trina, and all of our names are on the back of the bulletin. But we need four more volunteers uh, to pull off a week where not everybody's trying to do double duty. So if you can come to that, that'd be great. So we just finished a sermon series about basically the greatest hits of the Bible, about everything. You know, uh, we did uh, since September, just tons and tons of uh, Bible passages and stories. And uh, what we're going to do today is start a new sermon series. It's going to take us through the, the, the summer, the next 12 weeks. And we're going to be talking about the kingdom of God. Uh, another broad subject, uh, uh, the, the kingdom and its, uh, its mission, um, its beauty and it's liberty, and, and what I mean by liberty is the liberation of the oppressed. We're going to do four weeks on each of these. We're going to talk about God's mission uh, in four different ways, uh, kind of the extent of it, the source of it, things like that. We're going to talk about beauty, uh, beauty of creation, creativity, how the Lord has uh, created us uh, to be imaginative people, living out our lives and arts and culture in all sorts of different ways. And then... Uh, then liberty or freedom from oppression is going to be the last four weeks. Everything from uh, the, the sin that entangles our own hearts all the way to uh, systemic um, cultural change. Um, because that is, in fact, the mission of God, the missio dei, the, the work that God's uh, to do. Um, we've been telling the story over the last few months or last almost year about that great mission. But uh, what we want to do is kind of set the mission before us, so the kingdom of God's advancement before us, and then talk about how that works out in time and space. 
And we're going to start this week, um, and again, let me, let, me, let me say what the mission of God is. It is that God would redeem all things. There's a picture at the end of Re- Revelation that says, um, that, says uh, um, that, that has this picture of Him being complete, that the world uh, is complete, every tear wiped from every eye, and, uh, and, um, and, and everything restored. Behold, I make all things new. And that's the great mission of God, and that's what He pursues. And that makes relationship with you and uh, God right, or us and God right, us and each other right, and uh, uh, us and um, ourselves, kind of all our pangs and, and internal struggles, and then us with the rest of creation. It's this fourfold restoration of all things, making all things right. That's what it's about. But we're going to start this week when we talk about this mission uh, with the Word. And, um, you know, it's kind of hard sometimes because even when you look at our wonderful adrian's wonderful artwork the word of god it does look kind of intimidating doesn't it uh and and sometimes when you hear the word of god sometimes you're typically it's a really big fat black bible uh leather bound bible that is often uh thumped uh if you will and uh it, it can be it can be a little bit intimidating um as a as a preacher sometimes, not that I'm ashamed of the gospel or what's in the Bible whatsoever, but that there's other kind of narratives that come on. There are other stories about the Bible and people, uh, people associate it with judgmentalism and kind of sometimes extreme meanness or oppression. People use and twist the Bible in some certain ways to, to, um, to, uh, to, uh, to get their own agenda across. So there's a great passage, uh, when you're in doing church history studies, they always say every heretic has his verse. Everybody's going to really jack something up. He's got some verse somewhere that he's going to work work, work things out, and uh, um, and and so it can be a, it can be hard to talk about this. But what I want to do is 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 basically talk about um, talk about the fact that scripture is, is is foundational for us, not just foundational; it's a source for us. I, I, we are people of the book here at Christ Central, especially your pastors. And we really do believe that Jesus only comes to us through the robes of Scripture. This is how we know about Him. This is how we know uh, that not just did He exist, but 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 the the manner in which He exists, the kindness that He has, the love we have for each other. It's precisely because Scripture tells us judgmentalism is wrong that we know they're abusing the Scripture when they're being judgmental. Do you get what I'm saying? It corrects our view of, of even the misuses of the Scriptures. It's guidance for us. Clarity amid hard times. Balm to our wounds, as we heard earlier today. The Bible, it, it confirms our instincts of the beauty of creation. When we say there must be a God when we stand on a hillside. There's something here that's creative and, and forceful. But it's not quite enough. We need the narrative. We need uh, a, a little bit more explicit work. I, I don't know if you notice this, but... You know, we're kind of hip and do funky stuff sometimes and, and uh, have a cool band and all that stuff. But, but we're pretty Bible heavy. Have you noticed that? Did you know every call to worship comes from the scriptures? What Omari did earlier? Every single time. You, you know, the, every assurance of pardon. We always confess our sins and we, we write that stuff up. We write up the assurance of pardon and we think, okay, well, we're going to try to confess our sins together. But the more important word is that assurance. And that assurance isn't coming off our lips. We get that straight from Scripture. So you may not be assured of your ability to uh, repent of your sin, but you can be assured that the Lord forgives you through His Word. Assurance, always Scripture. Preaching of the Word, always Scripture. We always open the Bible up somewhere. The Lord's Supper, we always open up the Bible there. 
And then at the benediction, we always send you out with the Bible on our lips and our ears to move forward. I don't know if you've noticed that, but that's a significant a part of who we are. Because we think we know about this glorious God because of the scriptures. It is all about the word in some ways. God spoke words to create, uh, uh, um, uh, to create, uh, to create out of nothing. All creation is uh, spoken into existence, a word. The fall itself is someone lying. The serpent, if you will, lying to, uh, to Adam and Eve. And the lack of speaking from Adam, the silent one who didn't speak up when he was two, when he was supposed to. God's response to the fall is words. He gives a curse and a blessing. Words again. Cursed is she, cursed is he, cursed is the snake. At the one point, there's a blessing too. It says, hey, do you know, this is the word of blessing. They call it, uh, theologians call it the first gospel, the proto-euangelion. I, the seed of the woman, will crush the serpent's head. It's a promise from all on out that that's going to play forward. That this word, this prophecy, this declaration to be is going to play out just like that. Just as his word would say that Mary's womb would would create or to would, would be uh, uh, would give birth to one who would crush the serpent's head the ten commandments his word written on the on very stones etched not just on stones but in their hearts eventually it's kind of a big deal in the the, the the word is a big deal in the bible it's not something we just put on it it actually comes from it and so what i want to do is talk about the ways in which this works for us that it initiates the mission of god it empowers the mission of God, and it, um, what's my fourth one, third one, initiates, empowers, and accomplishes uh, uh, the mission of God. The word initiates and empowers and accomplishes the mission of God. Think of Mission Impossible. You know how that works? It's probably most of you have only seen like MI1, MI2, MI3, but it actually existed before Tom Cruise. Um, and... Uh, and, and what the deal is, is that you'd get these little communiques or some type of memo, and you kind of knew that it was your, uh, it was from, um, uh, the authorities because, uh, it was either, you know, slipped and, you know, like this, and you walked like this, and you knew we're supposed to do it, or there's some sneaky way of handling it, and, uh, you opened up the communique, and you knew it was the, had the right, uh, stamp on it, or right, whatever, and then, of course, it says, gives you the mission, it says, if you choose to accept this mission, uh, it, that's how it starts, Mission Impossible, and then it says it's gonna blow up in 10 seconds, right? Right, y'all remember this? It's going to blow up in 10 seconds? Okay, yeah, all right. Uh, so you kind of know who it's coming from. Um, well, that's kind of where we are. We, we, we need to look at the scriptures in some ways as the a mission impossible. It's a communique, a confirmation of how and what we're supposed to go. Now, thankfully, it doesn't blow up uh, after we read it. Um, but uh, it's, it's saying that we need to uh, trust its source. If you got a bad one of those and started a mission, you'd be in trouble. There's confirmation that the author of it was uh, was someone you could trust and 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 and, uh, and yield to and listen to. And that's what is so important about what this initiation is. The Bible has an author. Yes, it has lots of authors in one sense, but it has an author of authors, if you will. And this is where we get it here from First uh, Timothy three, the first passage we read, and we can read together now. But as for you. Continue in what you've learned and have, have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it. Those from whom you learned it are the pastors and, uh, uh, and uh, people who shared with Timothy the Bible. And how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. 
All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. God-breathed literally is the literal translation of that. It is exhaled or inspired, you know, given breath to. That's the term we use. You sometimes hear about inspiration of Scripture. That's what it means. It's just taking those words literally and say, it's breathed out to you. Yes, among human beings who are writing all sorts of different places in different ways, but God breathed, overseen, and given to us. There is an author. The word is not initiated by us. It is initiated by another. It assumes that you can't know unless you are told, which is exactly right about just about everything in the universe. You can't know unless you were told, either by an expert teacher or um, you, you figured out in some ways, but then uh, uh, like the gravity, you know, works when you throw something up and it falls down. But then someone says, hey, that's gravity. And you go, oh, OK. Ninety nine percent of all of our knowledge is knowledge that we're told from trusted authors. That's the way knowledge works. That's the way we live. And God has been gracious to speak our language. Calvin calls it prattle. That he says goo goo gaga for us. Because we couldn't understand the mightiness and the majesty of who he is. So he, the word, condescends. He, think about, gets on a knee. And speaks our language so that we can understand who and what he is. Prattle, graciousness from an author who will speak goo goo gaga for us. He is the prime mover. He's the one that moves towards us. us. But there's always a problem when there's an author. It's tied to the other word that we use in author, and that is authority. When there's an author, guess what? They get to write the story, right? You don't tell somebody else how to write their story if they're writing it. That's like, uh, I don't know, a crea- uh, it's like creative hijacking or something like that. You're not allowed to do that. It's, it's, it's stealing. This is not a choose-your-own-adventure. Though choose-your-own-adventure, you still only had like four or five options. And I'd always cheat and go through all 17 options to figure out which one I liked so I didn't die. Choose your own adventure, you still are limited in that. And in some sense, maybe the scripture is choose your own adventure to some degree. But uh, there are only a few options out there. All men are like grass, Peter says. And their glory, this is real glory. This instinct we have to know that humanity is important and matters. Weighty is the term glory. Light, radiance, and weight. What a great term. Glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. The very word preached to you stands forever. You see some authority in that? That kind of long-lasting authority? A reign, if you will? Something that lasts forever is going to outlive us. People wither. Civilizations wither and fall. They're like grass. Entire empires are no longer here with us. But the word of the Lord stands forever. I'm pretty sure when writing this, Peter was going, yeah, I know this, but man, the Roman Empire, I ain't sure that's going anywhere for a while. The Roman Empire, it's now just Rome. It's like the Vatican, right? Not even that. It's evolved in so many thousands of different ways. It's in shambles. It's beautiful shambles if you've ever been. Uh, But it's in shambles. It, It... It is unwithering, unfailing. And this is hard for us postmoderns. We we swim in the sea of skepticism. We really do. 
And not only that, we see hyper-literalists, people who are, who, who, uh, who I say, who would abuse the scriptures by, by over-literalizing them, if you will. Um, uh, that you, we see some people dehumanize people like this. And we know somewhere writ- written in our hearts and in the scriptures tells us that's not right. Scriptures aren't for control of someone. Scriptures aren't to be, uh, used abusively. And, it's hard because it's a hard book to understand sometimes. Look, I've been to seminary and it freaks me out sometimes. I don't know what it is. It's not exactly what it's doing. Listen, I understand your skepticism. I went to seminary not believing that this was true or trustworthy. I was, I was teethed on skepticism. And then I went to my beloved David Sikhaj that only helped me more. I used to think it was a book of myths. An opiate for the masses, really. Written so you and I can feel better about ourselves and the terrible meaninglessness of life. Said those words. At some point I got a little bit more sophisticated and I thought, no, it's a book of pious frauds. People who knew they weren't writing the scripture. People who knew that the, that that... That they were, they were that, that it wasn't in scripture that thus saith the Lord is maybe just a literary advice or literary device. But they knew that they weren't doing anything. Never expected to be inscripturated. They knew better. They're just doing really good Aesop's fables with you know kind of a, a funky literary technique called thus saith the Lord. I thought that's a little more sophisticated. That goes down a little better. That didn't work either. And then I got a little more cynical. And I thought, you know what it is? It's a book of deception. It's a book of people who use their words to be destructive, to control people. Not just an opiate for masses, but control of the masses. Women, people of, uh, of subdominant cultures. It was a book of racism and, and sexism. That was a bad way. It was in my most cynical times. Somewhere along the line, a good, good friend of mine who's now a pastor uh, uh, in Charlottesville, He looked at me and he said, you must account for your skepticism. You're skeptical about the Bible in a way. You're not even skeptical about, you know, your biology textbook or uh, the history of Rome or something like that. And he said, you know, you need to account for it. He goes, let me just ask you to read it and read it and read it and see what it does. Over time and fighting and wrestling through these things, and I have wrestled through these things greatly. And I will gladly open up uh, different books and different ideas to, 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 to walk with you if you're struggling with the same. I have great sympathy for it. But I'm here to tell you that I actually trust this. I trust its author, and I trust its authority. There are confusing things in here still. They need to be worked out in my own mind and heart. But, you know, you, somebody gives you directions to go to a place 25 times, and 25 times it works. You start to trust that guy as a good direction giver, right? That's what's happened. I don't know about 26. We'll learn. But I'm trusting 26 is going to work like 25 did. Let me give you a couple ways to go forward in this because this is a sticking point for a lot of us in our community. First, I want to I advise you to read. There is, uh, I have it upstairs. I meant to bring it down with me. There's a book called uh, um, The Reason for God by Tim Keller. It's a great book. One of it says, you know, basically, am I supposed to take the Bible literally? It's a fabulous book. It's got all sorts of great little arguments and argumentations. It's one of 50,000 books like that that uh, over church history, but it's the hottest one going on right now, so I'd recommend it to you. It's on the New York Times bestseller, and he's a fellow pastor. I actually saw him this week at General Assembly um, at, our, at our annual meeting. 
Um, it's incredible, guys. Pastor in Manhattan, and it's called uh, Reason for God: um, Belief in the Age of Skepticism. Very helpful. I want to recommend it to your reading, but not just that. Tons more. But I also want you to do something else. The Western world, especially the Euro Western world, has swum in has swum swim swam swum yeah, has swum in skepticism for uh, generations now. And our brothers and sisters in Africa and China and South America don't have the same baggage. They can teach us something. They're not reared cynics and distrusting of all media and words that come in, even the medium of the scriptures. A friend of mine that I went to college with, Matamba Bayabu, was a saint of a man. He was older than most of us. He was like 33 or 34 in uh, seminary. Uh, and um, he, was, he, 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 was, he was African, but he was an albino. And it was just this kind of odd holiness about him, not just uh, the fact that he's from another place and had this really thick accent, but he glowed, you know. <laughs> uh, uh, and not just physically, but in, internally too. He was one of the holiest people I've ever met in my life. One time he spoke for us at InterVarsity, which is the Christian fellowship I was involved in at the time. And, uh, and he said, it was brilliant. He said, um, he opened the Bible and he says, I see in America that you stand when the president comes in. I would like for you to stand as we read and open the word of God. And we're all like, yep, okay, <laughs> that'll work, that'll work. This man prayed for like four hours a day. And you would think he was kind of a weak and humble guy, except for the fact that he was actually royalty, which was interesting. But you never knew that. And at one point, this is where it kind of, that point where he'd asked us to stand and read the word. And at another point, um, I realized, I don't see the Bible the way this man sees the Bible. We're sitting, and it was a a meeting of people who are all just kind of seeking and trying to figure out what the Bible was and who Jesus was and all sorts of Christianity stuff was. And there are 20 of us sitting around in my dorm room. And uh, there's a poor Eastern European guy who who's so post-Christian, you know, Eastern Europe, and, and had none of the kind of majesty of the scriptures for him, just culturally didn't. He's, we're all sitting around, and people have Bibles in different places. He actually uses his Bible as a footstool. And he's kind of sitting, standing on it like that as he's sitting down. And Matamba, bless his heart, you know, all cultural issues gone. He said, brother, like he's just totally shocked. He says, brother, this is the place for Satan's head to be crushed. It's not the place for the word of God. And of course you had culture clash going all over the place. You got the Eastern European, you got just a regular American dude who's a skeptic, you got, you know, they're just all over the place. But I thought, oh my gosh, I have no idea how much respect he has for the Word of God. I don't even have this kind of instinct, you know? I was born in skepticism. So I say, hey, learn from others around us. Some of the best theologians in our day are non-Western theologians, and they are writing great theology from the Word of God. They're incredible. Okay. The word initiates this great mission of going as far as the curse is found, but it also empowers it. We have a misunderstanding in our, about words in our culture. We have what I would consider a fatal nursery rhyme, and you know it. Sticks and stones will break my bones, but names will never hurt me. That, I stand to you on the word of God, is a lie. And we tell our kids it. Words matter. Some of you, many of you, have words that have been life to you. That if someone's spoken over you, blessing to you, giving you dignity and joy, 
Words matter. And some of you are still to this day haunted by things said to you that have, have ripped something in your soul. Well, tell me, look, the bones break, they'll get healed. It's the words that hurt and hurt for a lifetime. There is power in words and so much more for even the word of God. It becomes sight for us. It becomes life for us, life-giving, transforming our lives and becomes food for our souls. Psalm 119, your word, O Lord, is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. I know this can again be hard for us sometimes to say the scripture is going to enlighten our ways, that preaching of the word will do something like that, but it does enlighten us. It gives us eyes to see ourselves and the Lord. Now, sometimes it's only like four feet ahead. (laughs) Sometimes it's not like, you know, seeing everything. But sometimes it is. It makes connections in our world and we can understand them better. I cannot tell you how many times one of you have come to me or come to Pastor Howard after he's preached and said, you are just talking to me. I am not. (laughs) But the Lord is, through His Word, it is a light unto our path. And, and the truth is, most of the time, that kind of stuff happens when you least expect it and you thought it was the dog of a sermon. And people go, oh, that was so great, you were preaching to me. I was like, no, okay, thank you, Holy Spirit. But the Lord lightens the path through His Word. Blind people see. C.S. Lewis says, I believe in Christianity. And you could say, I believe in the word like I believe in the sun, S-U-N. Not just uh, since I can see it, but but by it I can see everything else. That's a lamp unto our feet. But seeing is sometimes difficult because it requires some sort of transformation in us. Frederick Buechner, a pastor, a Presbyterian pastor, says this, If there is a terror about darkness because we cannot see, there's also a terror about light because we can see. There's a terror about light because much of what we see in the light about ourselves and our world, we'd rather not see. So when the light comes forth of the scriptures, sometimes we back away. It's like when you you leave here today, the light from the outside will blind you. And you wish you didn't have to go through that. Because if you haven't been in a neighborhood theater before, trust me, in about an hour or about 30 minutes you'll see. Uh, You'll be blinded. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active. Sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Listen to that language. The Bible says it can change you. Do surgery on you. It's not a light just to your path, but it's a, it's a, it's a medical laser. Light amplified. Never mind. I don't know what it is. Laser. Yeah. Light amplified. I don't know what it means. But that's a light. Right? That's what the L in laser means. It's light that's amplified so that it can cut and heal. It can transform you. That's what lasers do when used well. It does surgery on your soul and your spirit. It can judge your thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Really? You know this. I know this. Here's how you know it in Christ Central. Especially among the white folk. Mmm. That's a white person's amen, just in case you're one of brothers and sisters. Mmm. If you get a couple mmms during the confession of sin and assurance, you know that's what's happening. That's what's happening. It does this, and it does it well. You don't primarily read the scripture. It primarily reads you. 
and it transforms you as well. There's a philosopher named uh, Emile, I'm not, my French is horrible, Callier, I think. He was born in a small French village, ended up becoming a professor. But when he was, uh, 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 he was born into a, what you would call, naturalistic or humanistic world, where there was no uh, belief in the supernatural, not in the home he grew up in, or in the home after he was married, lived in. It was, there was no Bible, there was no, there was no uh, um, uh, mythology, it was just straight matches what you can see and hold and believe that's the way it worked, that's the way the universe worked. Well, um, he uh, was was bent on that, and of course it was during World War One, and he learned uh, he had to go to World War One, and one of his friends died there, and it just confirmed him more to him more. The world is meaningless; it's what you make of it. Where it's how we're going to move. That's uh, how I'm going to move forward. So what he did is he had this idea as he went back to school and started studying philosophy. He said, "I need something that will reach me." And so what he did is he kept this little this little journal, you know, something like this, and he kept it in his pocket, and maybe his briefcase, I don't know what it was. And every time, through all his philosophy, he would write down in red anything that spoke to him, anything that, that saw him, if you will. And he would write it all down, and he figured, oh, after, the, after my 10 years of studying, I'm doing a PhD and all that stuff, I'll have this book, and it will be complete, and I'll have something that brings meaning to my life. Well, he finished it. He finished his studies. He sat down, and what he records is a very cool and beautiful day. He sits down under a tree. That's where all you always got to do to go philosophizing. You got to be under a tree. Uh, goes under a tree, and he starts to read it. And he says, "There, all the words are flat." He said, "It's my own construct. It's my own. It's my own stuff. I made it. It's not changing me." Well. This is a wild part of the story. He goes home and his wife has a Bible. There's a whole backstory to that. Never, never a Bible in their house together. Has a Bible. And so he goes, well, I'll give this thing a shot. And by chance, he says, he opens to the Beatitudes. And he says he's cut to the heart. He's cut to the heart. And he says, I'm seen and I'm known and I'm shown a more beautiful way. And he converts. He ends up becoming a professor at Princeton Theological Seminary. Not too long after that. He con- converts. This word transforms us. It gives us light. It gives us life. And it gives us food. Man does not live on bread alone, the scripture says. There's an utter need for this word that we eat and we consume it. And you saw it here today. When Terence declares to you the lowness of his lot, and he brings to you the promise of the word, If this word of God is not good for the emergency room and the funeral parlor, if this word of God isn't for the lowest parts, for the homelessness and helplessness from the psychotic episodes that we have, if this word of God is not good for that, this is not good, and I urge you to reject it. But I tell you it is. Amid the funeral homes, amid the hospital rooms, amid the greatest pain, It is food for us. Jesus, when he says these words, is literally starving, fasting. Satan, at this point, is tempting him with the very words of God, manipulating him. And he says, no, I will not accept the bait. But I will live on the word of God alone. It will be my sustenance. It will be food for me. Sight and transformation of life and sustenance. But it's also a word that doesn't just have power or empower the mission. It accomplishes it. 
Look with me in Isaiah 55 real quick. We'll finish up here pretty quickly. As the rain and now the snow and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it a bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the power and bread, seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. I will not return to, it will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. It will not return void. It completes the mission. There is a promise of completion. I just said if the Bible doesn't work in the middle of the ER, it's not worth putting your trust in. The Bible teaches that it completes itself, that it works out what it will do. It is like rain that will cause flowers to bud. The scriptures will have their way with us eventually and will bring us to that safe place one day. Now, not just in the ER, but even after the ER. Not just in life, but life and death and resurrection. There is a promise of completion. Jesus came to fulfill the law, it says. And not not even a jot or a tittle. I think the scripture says... uh, a stroke of pen or the smallest letter. A yod is a jot. It's the smallest letter in the Hebrew alphabet. A tittle is a, is a dot that marks the vowels that are used in, the Hebrew, in, in Hebrew. Not a dot or a little, uh, like a little apostrophe mark will be taken away from the Word of God until it's formed into completion. And the reason why it is not just that the, the Word is powerful, which it is, but because the Word has a double entendre, my friends. There is a Word and then there is the Word. There is the Word and then there is the Word of God. You must know that, that the Bible so, uh, so closely identifies itself with the one who is called the Word that that's what guarantees its power and transformation in our lives. It's not just the power to bring to completion, it's the power of the person that sits behind it. John 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, it says, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. And down to 14, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the Word to whom the Word testifies. Jesus is the one who is is called Word of God, the Logos. The one who, um, who, who fulfills and embodies and lives out the righteous life that we're called to. And he's the one that actually meets us in the ER, sustains us in the middle of all our lives, is food for us like he will be in a bit. Jesus is the one who is the word. He is the proclamation to his people. He's called the prophet But he's not just the prophet, the one proclaiming. He's the content of the prophecy. He is the one to whom all prophets talk about. There is no way to know scripture outside of the word, but there's a really good way to know the word. And that's by looking at Jesus that is given to us in scripture. They are fused forever and gladly so. If we want to know about the character of our God, we look to Jesus. If we want some help in understanding the difficult passages, we look to Jesus. If you're wondering what mercy and justice mean in the Old Testament, look to Jesus. 
Jesus helps us and gives us, uh, uh, gives us categories for understanding who he is. And it helps us on this great mission of God because he is the word bringing the word to bear. Look, at Christ Central, we want to have a church that's church planting churches. The only reason we can do that is because there is, there is the word that goes before us that does all this conviction, initiation, and changing of heart. We don't, we, preaching is foolish unless there is a spirit, unless there is a God behind it. Paul even said so. It's foolish. There's no reason to declare what the word says unless there's some type of power, unless there's some type of person behind it who actually convicts our hearts. Look, we want to be authentic community. We want to live together in, in peace and harmony like the Rosebrook said, but unless the word is at the center of it, we're just going to feel really nice about each other. We're just going to be real vulnerable. Unless the word shapes us and unless Jesus enters into it, there can be no healing. Y'all, Jesus rescued the Rosebrook's marriage, period. Not their good works, not their good efforts, not their good counsel, though you guys gave some good counsel here and there, and you did some good works there. But Jesus, the power behind the word, and the words itself as they opened the scripture and brought conviction and freedom. That's who did the healing. That's how we do, how we get better. We are a word-centered community. Word, the scriptures, and word, the Jesus. There's a great phrase in Reformed uh, church thinking, Reformed Reformation Protestantism, and it's this, that the word of God is our only rule of faith and practice. My prayer is for us at Christ Central that that will be the case for us. That it will be our, yes, we'll bring other things in that are, that are helpful and understanding and reasons important and all those things. Philosophy is important. Oh, yes, service of mercy and justice. All that stuff is really important. But the rule for it, the standard for it, the reason we do it is because the word tells us to love our neighbors. And that Jesus embodies it by loving us when we didn't deserve it. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you love us when we don't deserve it. We thank you that you are our word, that you are the Logos. You are the prophet and priest and king. You are the the forgiver of our sins. Lord Jesus, let us turn to you as we turn to the scriptures, as we turn to your Lord's Supper, knowing that you meet us here, that you meet us here gladly. And that you proclaim to us what is true and powerful, authoritative and beautiful. We ask this in your name. Amen.